Welcome to the Recess Nurse Podcast. Elevating emergency nursing, one episode at a time. I'm your host, Yunsi Dursa. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Recess Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Yunsi Dursa. Today I have a guest. His name is Dr. Brett Nelson. Hi, Brett. Hey, how you doing, Yancy? Thanks so much for having me. It's good to have you on. Uh, can you tell the listeners who you are? So uh, my name is Brett Nelson. I am the um, chief of the Division of Emergency Ultrasound at Mount Sinai in New York City. And um, I've been using point-of-care ultrasound for close to 20 years now in the emergency department for diagnostic and procedural purposes. And uh, I'm really excited to speak with you about some of the possibilities that ultrasound has today for critical care nurses. Yes. So um, very exciting because often as nurses, we feel like ultrasound is something that just the providers can do, just the doctors, the PAs, uh, maybe NPs. Um, So today we want to talk a little bit about using ultrasound to get those difficult IV sticks, those hard sticks. How do you feel about um, nurses performing ultrasound-guided peripheral IV? So um, first of all, at the risk of pandering to your audience, um, some of the best people I've ever met at getting intravenous access are going to be nurses. So if you give the best people at intravenous access the best tools for intravenous access, you're going to have the best outcomes for patients. You're going to have the best satisfaction for the people that are performing the job. And I think that's why we have um, such a long history of using adjuncts for uh, guiding needles into people's bodies. And whether that's, you know, application of multiple tourniquets or inflating a blood pressure cuff above the arm where you're trying to put the IV in, letting the arm hang for a while, putting warm compresses on, slapping the veins, you know, all these myriad tricks that I've learned over the years uh, have come from nurses. I've also learned from nurses over the years how to apply um, infrared light, how to apply those topographical laser maps uh, and all sorts of other fancy devices. So to me, ultrasound just exists within this existing spectrum of technological aids to helping your physical examination, helping your landmark anatomy, and helping your existing skill set. It always um, strikes me as a little bit odd that someone might have an issue with using ultrasound to guide an uh, IV placement when they've placed a thousand IVs in the past, um, or they're supervising people who place IVs, when already in the arsenal of nurses that I've worked with is, and this is a real product, I'm sure you guys are familiar with it, like a head-mounted laser topographical map. So someone who's not afraid to mount a laser onto their head to guide an IV shouldn't be afraid or concerned about uh, using ultrasound to visualize the veins either. So I'm a huge fan uh, of giving anybody any tool to improve patient care. Yeah, and I'm I'm a huge fan, and I completely agree with that too. Um, so I, I started performing ultrasound-guided peripheral IVs a few years back, um, and you know, there, there was always a question like, can RNs even perform this skill? And, you know, and, and like you said, we, 
as nurses, we are the IV experts. We can find IVs in fingers, in toes, um, uh, like the bat wing uh, move. Uh, there's a lot of these uh, scalp uh, IVs, especially in babies. So we we are very skilled, and using ultrasound is just another tool. It's just you just have to learn how to visualize ultrasound machine uh, and translate that. So um, so a question that always comes up is, can RNs perform this skill safely? And the answer really is yes. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit more about the white paper um, that's out there that does support nurses performing ultrasound-guided uh, PIVs? Sure. Um, there is uh, support from you know national nursing guidelines on the use of um, of ultrasound. There's also support from American Institute of Ultrasound and Medicine and other national organizations that are supporting ultrasound in general. Um, and uh, you know these these the white papers describe that it's not only within the nursing scope of practice, um, but it's encouraged, especially in patients with difficult uh, venous access. Um, it does seem counterintuitive that um, people who are tasked with performing procedures on some of the most difficult patients, patients with difficult venous access because they are um, frequent users of um, uh, the emergency department or people, patients who have uh, difficulty because of intravenous drug use, patients who have had chemotherapy, patients who are on dialysis, um, Patients who are frequently admitted to the hospital and, um, you know, through the fault, if you want to put it that way, of the healthcare system, because we keep drawing bloods on them and placing IVs, they've just run out of peripheral access. So there, there's there's um, lots of guidance from the kinds of leadership that, um, that uh, nurses would be typically getting their guidance from uh, to suggest that ultrasound is is not only okay, but it would be something that's encouraged. Um, th there are there are always going to be local variations in practice. Um, maybe someone learned how to place a nasogastric tube or, or learned how to do an arterial blood gas uh, in nursing school, but they might work in a particular environment where that's not something that they commonly would practice. Um, so, you know, for nurses to be, um, as you said, the, the um, uh, some of the the best trained people in placing uh, venous access, not only understanding the procedure itself, but the best access sites, um, the appropriate considerations for patients that have uh, intravenous access needs. For example, patients with lymphedema, um, prior surgeries, mastectomy, um, uh, fistulas in place, etc. Um, it, it's often the nurses that really guide this and are, and are decision makers on where the best access spots are. Um, it would make sense that national organizations have come out in favor of, uh, of this being part of not just the scope of practice um, as, as if it's something that you can conceivably do, but something that should be encouraged to be a part of your training, something that might in the initial phases when this isn't uh, widely adopted everywhere, um, maybe set you apart and as an extra skill that you that you have, um, and um, and moving forward, something that hopefully everyone with access to the technology would also have access to the training. Uh, I'm obviously an emergency nurse, and I know the Emergency Nurses Association definitely support this practice as well. And I mean, there's tons of research out there. 
Um, also, you know, a lot of journal articles, they do show a high success rate. We're talking about um, you're completely ultrasound naive, which means you have never used an ultrasound machine before, which many nurses have not. After 10 attempts of using an ultrasound machine to insert an IV, your success rate is about 85%. And then when you hit about 20 attempts, now your success rate is anywhere between 90 to 95%. That's a huge success rate. Uh, If you think about uh, when you're first starting out as a nurse and you're learning how to place an IV, your success rate may actually be lower um, after 10 insertions. So to have these high success rates with you know some decent training um, is extremely valuable and you have like a better chance of um, performing the skill well. So you, you make a, uh, a great point. And I think that someone who's already familiar with a procedure um, is going to have probably the steepest learning curve. And by that, I mean the most rapid acquisition of that new skill when they apply ultrasound. Because once your dominant hand is already familiar with how to hold a uh, angiocatheter, how to flick the um, angiocath over the needle, the appearance of a flash, um, the angles that you need to approach, um, the way that you can sort of quickly poke in from the side of a vessel that's rolling, all these little tricks that you learn as you learn to place an IV well uh, translate immediately into the ultrasound guidance. And um, it's really for the experienced um, IV access uh, practitioner, it's really just a question of figuring out how to assimilate this new technology into your practice. So as soon as your non-dominant hand gets used to the concept that you can uh, hold the probe a certain way, um, give yourself a good view of the vessels, your dominant hand already knows what to do. And it's essentially exactly the same process. So it's um, it, it doesn't really take that many to get the hang of how to do it. Right. And, and I would say just for myself, um, when I was learning how to do this, the probably the biggest difference for me is there were just like a couple of different things that and I would say just how I handled inserting and my confirmation that I'm actually in. Those were probably the only two main things that um, didn't completely translate. Um, But it was very easy for me to to just almost like add another technique to my IV skills uh, and then now it's, it's, it's just, it seems very simple. Yeah. One way to think about it is that your, your non-dominant hand is, um, like a new addition to your team. And ideally the new addition to your team, um, during their probation period is going to not get in the way and be helpful. So there are certain things that your non-dominant hand can do to just not get in the way. And, you know, for example, not putting too much pressure um, because novices tend to place the probe with too much pressure. And when you're pressing hard with the probe on the patient, you're going to collapse all the veins and not see anything. So that's a good example of the probe actually getting in the way instead of helping. An example of helping is um, when you are holding the probe appropriately, you can see these dark circles that collapse and demonstrate um, that they're veins and um, guide you towards where your needle needs to be. You can see a bright white spot on the screen that shows you where the needle tip is and triangulate that needle tip towards the vessels that 
you're visualizing. So um, the goal is to get your non-dominant hand from being uh, in the way to being helpful. And that's you know no different than when I started as an intern, or maybe you start on your clinical rotations when you're in school, um, you know, just like any other member of the team, don't get in the way and be helpful. Exactly. Um, and just something else, um, patients really are surprised and very pleased when their nurse is able to put in an ultrasound guided uh, IV. Um, and I think, I mean, I can't guarantee it because I don't have complete evidence on this, but as just a very non-evidence-based uh, <laughs> viewpoint, uh, there seems to be a higher patient satisfaction, especially for the patients who know that they're a heart stick. I mean, they will roll their eyes and, you know, thrust their arm out in front of me and say, all right, you get four tries or you get six tries, which most people will say you get one shot and you're out. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So uh, the other thing, uh, the same population, they are often admitted to the hospital many, many, many times. And like you said earlier, their veins are shot. And something that I enjoy about ultrasound guided IVs, when it's a good IV, when you, you place it well, um, you visualize the, the catheter, the entire catheter going into the vessel, you know it's in there. Um, when you do have to do those repeat blood draws, and you know, for some patients, we're, we're doing repeat blood draws maybe um, every 45 minutes to an hour. Um, if you think about all of the sticks, um, depending on the, depending on the institution that you work in, uh, I know some units or some hospitals will allow you to draw from the IV line, and these IV lines they work almost like central catheters. Um, you're able to draw back from it. You're able to pull blood work. Um, it just reduces the amount of sticks. And then overall, you end up um, preserving some additional blood vessels for another hospital admission, let's say. Yeah, well, you brought up a, a lot of really good points. I mean, one is the patient satisfaction. I can't recall the name of the study offhand, but I believe one of the studies that looked somewhat subjectively at nurse um, initiated ultrasound guided venous access, um, looked at nurse satisfaction, nurses assessment of how difficult the, um, venous access was before and after the implementation of an ultrasound program, and also looked at patient satisfaction and the patients did, uh, in that study that I recall, uh, note that they, um, they had a much better experience. Um, and anecdotally, I think we've all seen that patients who can have one IV placed hopefully within the first try or two um, in the emergency department can then potentially have that line um, through their hospital stay uh, that reduces um, and, and then has a lot of implications as, as you were starting to talk about. Number one is that there's just fewer needle stick attempts. Fewer needle stick attempts is better for the patient. It's better for the person who's performing the procedure. There is a small but finite risk of, um, of needle stick, of um, blood and body fluid exposure. Um, every time we you know, engage with patients um, with the business end of a needle. So if we can reduce that as much as possible, that's that's huge. You also mentioned that these lines um, can, can function as um, blood draw lines for potentially a prolonged period of time. 
often that is because we use longer catheters, um, not super long catheters. They're not, these aren't midlines or pick lines that we're talking about, but just, you know, two inch long catheters instead of one inch long catheters. And, um, I think from a mechanics of venous access perspective, some of the benefits of that are the, the trauma that you cause to the vein when you poke a hole in it, um, is going to be farther away from the infusion or withdrawal end of the, the catheter. So in other words, if you've got a tiny catheter and it's just sort of barely in the vessel, um, the place where you poked a hole once, maybe even more than once to get into that vein, um, is a very short distance away from where you're drawing blood out or you're infusing, uh, medications or, or fluids, et cetera. With a longer catheter, you're either drawing blood out from the vein or you're putting stuff into the vein, uh, much farther away from where there's any injury. So your chances of extravasation should be lower. The patient comfort should be greater. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why a midline or a long line, as opposed to a pick, um, is allowed to be in the patient for a longer period of time, why their dwell times are, um, are longer, why their infection rates are lower than standard uh, shorter catheters. And, um, and I have had many cases where we place a longer line at first and, um, and then the patient just, that, that's their line for a, a couple of days in the hospital. They don't have to get restuck every time they need blood drawn. Um, and, uh, and they're just much happier through it. Um, you, you also mentioned the fact that patients know their own bodies and it's important for us to, to listen to them. And, um, and they've also had experiences that we need to take into account when we are bringing them into medical care. Um, 10 years ago, it would be pretty standard that a patient would say, listen, I've got tough veins and only Mary on the ninth floor in the oncology unit is ever going to get near my vessel. So just call up there and see if she can come down because she's amazing at IVs and, and let's do that. Um, now it's pretty standard that patients say, listen, I'm a tough stick. So use ultrasound. They don't say, make sure someone who's experienced does it. They don't say, make sure the best nurse does it. It's almost like anybody can get a pass from the patient's perspective as long as they're using ultrasound. Um, because I've had patients who have been successfully stuck on the first try from uh, medical students, junior nurses, senior nurses, junior physicians, senior physicians. Uh, and the ultrasound is, is the great equalizer. It's a, it's a force multiplier for people's skill. So um, it's much more rare now that anybody would ask for a particular person much more common that they're asking for a particular technology. And I think that demonstrates at a grassroots level where the patients think about this. I completely agree. And, and a lot of patients, if they don't know that it's the ultrasound, they'll say, oh, they usually have to use that machine um, on my arm. And, and now even sometimes I'm placing ultrasound um, uh, guided IVs, and the patient is actually staring at the ultrasound machine at, at the screen, and they're asking me. They're like, "Oh, that that um is that is that my vein?" And some of them will even tell you <laughs> uh, the difference between the artery and the vein, and some of them will even recognize their own nerve bundles on the screen. <laughs> so, um, it's it's actually hilarious. Um. That just shows you how knowledgeable our patients are as well, and and knowing that there's there's a very good chance of success, and uh, for them and much more comfort and their length of stay. Yeah, and and I think we 
we all appreciate this at some level, but it's so easy to lose track of the fact that um, it is scary and dehumanizing to um, be put in this position of being out of control. You know, your, your clothes are, are gone. You're wearing a gown. You're in a crazy environment that often seems pretty hostile and noisy. Um, you don't know what time it is. You know, uh, the, the environment is just um, uh, so much um, overload. And then, you know, someone puts on a tourniquet. And they're about to stick you. And anybody knows whether it's their first IV or their 200th IV that that's going to be a process that's uncomfortable. And um, when, you know, someone's poking around, uh, you don't know if they know what they're doing or you don't know what they're doing. Um, and, and it's really uh, totally disempowering. I think it's incredibly powerful to be at the bedside with a patient with a tool that allows you to have a conversation as you're doing it uh, and talk about like, this is what we're seeing. This is what I'm not seeing. Um, and, and I've been able to work with some of the most scared and reluctant patients by saying like, you know, either I'm sorry that you've, um, you've had a, a difficult time or, um, you know, we anticipate that you might have a challenging, uh, intravenous access, or you've told us it's going to be challenging. So let me just look and you sort of contract with the patient that, I'm going to have a look, and if we can both see where there might be a good target, then maybe we'll go for it. But there's not going to be anything sharp in my hand uh, until I can establish that you've you've got some veins, you know. Um, and in the in the old days, these were patients who would be getting central lines. These are patients who would be getting uh, EJs. Um, and uh, and now we can have something essentially that approximates just a regular old IV. Um, maybe with a tiny bit longer catheter, maybe not even in some cases. Um, the technique is essentially the same from the patient's perspective. It's just that they can they can see the process and feel to have a bit more control and input over it. And and I think the the benefits of of that is is pretty huge in terms of their comfort level, um, patient satisfaction. Although that's an unpopular way to describe things, because I don't mean it in just the Prescani sort of way, but just in in terms of um, feeling like this experience isn't something that they're not a part of. Right. And, and I just want to also add, sometimes with our critically ill patients, you're able to get those IV lines, um, but you need, you know, multiple IV lines. And I've had a couple of situations where by placing an ultrasound IV, um, we were able to actually prevent putting in a central line in a patient. And that's huge. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about collapsy rates and uh, reducing central line placements? Yeah, I mean, there was an article, I think, um, uh, that Matt Fields might have been the senior author on um, in the American Journal of Emergency Medicine that looked at uh, decrease in venous catheter uh, placement. And um, there have been a couple of studies that have looked at the rates of um, uh, central line placement. Um, you know, it's always a multifactorial thing, but um, when you uh, subjectively speak with people about the number of central lines they're placing or, or uh, objectively, when you look at the data um, from places that have reported out on this, there's just fewer central lines being placed probably overall. And when, it, when you break it down, um, or one of the studies that looked at this basically looked at um, what were the reasons why central lines were placed and uh, before the uh, initiation of um, a peripheral venous access uh, catheter uh, program, there were st there were um, a high proportion of patients that were getting um, catheters placed for just to get access. Period. Let alone you know for um, for drug infusions for centrally 
uh, acting uh, medications for vasopressors, uh, et cetera. And um, the disposition of those patients um, were, you know, some of them would be getting sent home at the end of their visit. So, you know, that that might be the patient who um, needs um, blood work done or is getting antibiotics and has um, a need for a central line because they had poor venous access might might eventually get discharged home, um, and then over time through the through the course of the evaluation of the uh, the uh, ultrasound guided IV program, you'd see that there'd be um, almost all of the uh, central lines being placed would would be for the purposes of um, vasoactive medications or uh, administering things like calcium or other stuff that uh, that really uh, would be difficult through a uh, peripheral IV. Um, and almost all of the patients who were who had a central line placed were being admitted to the floor, if not the unit, um, as opposed to any of them being discharged. So you sort of whittle away at the patients who were less sick and didn't really need central lines. And only the patients who really needed them were getting them. Um, I think there was um, a study by, um, I think the senior author was uh, Yadav, um, and uh, that looked at this as well. So there have been a couple people who are who are tracking this, and uh, and it does make a difference. So if you're trying to reduce infection rates with central lines, placing fewer of them is is a pretty straightforward way to to reduce that. So we only want to really do invasive procedures on the people that we need to. And again, there's, there's needle stick risks. Um, you know, there are several times when you have a needle in your hand, when you are placing a central line, right? Um, there's, um, there's stitching the, the catheter in place. Um, there's, uh, there's risks associated with, uh, with having the procedure done to begin with pneumothorax, uh, hemothorax, uh, arterial puncture, et cetera. So, um, the, the, the more we can avoid, more complicated procedures and keep things simple uh, is just going to be better for patients. This is the end of the ultrasound guided peripheral IV discussion with Brett Nelson, part one. So if you want to continue, part two is how to create a program within your own facility. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm your host, Yunsi Dursa. Peace. You've just listened to an episode of the Recess Nurse Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, UMC Dursa. Check out the website, recessnurse.com, for show notes, a place to leave your comments, and start a conversation. You can also follow me on iTunes, Twitter, and Facebook.